iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to monday.com. You're listening to The Times. Go to thetimes.co.uk. Every goal, every game, everywhere. The Times and the Sunday Times. Now with goals. Hello and welcome to The Game. I'm Gabriel Marcotti with a football podcast from The Times where Premier League fans can get every goal, every game, everywhere. Apologies to those who expected to see me at our uh, live show uh, in Birmingham. Unfortunately, I was not able to make it, but I'm sure you had a wonderful time and you'll have plenty more chances to see me. But anyway, more important than that, back to the present and a welcome to my guests, a rare appearance in the studio. We're delighted to have Mr. Matt Hughes. And down the line, of course, it's Matt Dickinson from beautiful downtown Barnes. Morning. And finally, from his conservatory in Rippenden, it's Ollie Kay. Good morning. Oh, I like that touch where you all say good morning. It's so much more personal. Anyway, let's get started at the Emirates, Arsenal and Liverpool. Uh, Dicko, 25 points from, from 10 games for uh, Arsenal. That's, that's generally a Premier League winning uh, pace. Uh, and yet... When, when, you, when you ask people, a lot of people still don't see them as likely champions. Is that because they haven't played that many good teams except for Liverpool and, and Spurs, and both of those were at home? Well, I think it's probably based on a couple of things. It's, it's based on that, that the, their toughest tests are still to come. United away this weekend, and some, um, you know, they have, they've played few of the, uh, the title contenders, and you only have to look back at their record against those teams last year. I think they got two points. Uh, in the six matches against against the other top four, so yeah, that's the big hurdle they've got to cross. I think also people are reluctant, um, maybe, to accept that you know that that all the weaknesses that we saw at the start of the season that we saw you know certainly pre ozil signing have have been banished by his arrival. So you know, I, I think clearly they've overturned expectations already. They're doing far better than any of us um, had anticipated, unless someone is going to tell me now that they were a genius and, and saw this all along. But we would probably like to wait till, um, till, till certainly Christmas time before we give them a rubber stamp as, um, as a team that can win the, 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 the title. I think one thing I would say is that the quality of the rest of the, of the league, um, the fact that we saw Chelsea um, slip up at the weekend, you know, having looked like they were on a strong run, you know, almost certainly does make them genuine title contenders just because there is no other side that's going to run away with it. Ollie, you wrote on Saturday, I think it was, you pointed out that um, Arsenal have more team, more points than uh, than anybody else in calendar year 2013 and, and by some margin. Um, if that's the case, then 
Is it really fair to say that they haven't played anybody this season when, in fact, their great form dates back to last season? Well, there's actually something slightly misleading about that as well. Because if you look at it, their, their form has been absolutely magnificent since March, I would say, um, the, the final couple of months of last season. And, and prior to that, they, they had stumbled against some of the top teams. And, and unquestionably, their, their results have been extremely good against um, the lesser teams in the division. But I, I, I don't get why people are you know, using that as a stick to beat them with. I, mean, I remember a few seasons ago, many United won the title, I think it was 2008-9. They won a title by barely beating any of the top eight and yet wiping the floor with, with the bottom 12. That's what can happen. And if you look at Arsenal's season so far, um, and people are saying, well, they haven't played any of the, the top teams yet. Well, if you look at Man United, United have lost to West Brom at home and they've, you know, Chelsea lost at Newcastle. It's not, you can't just say that the games against the top teams are the only times when anyone will drop any points. It's, it's you know, the, the top teams will beat each other and take points off each other and at the moment it's about what everyone does in the other games and Arsenal are doing that extremely well. I think that mini-league though, the fascinating thing is, is, is the psychology of that, isn't it? Because I think, I mean, Arsenal has admitted himself that that was, that was a failing last season, that they just mm. didn't have... Um, that the, the psychologically didn't feel they had the belief or the confidence in, in, in a lot of the biggest games. He's he's always been insistent they've had the quality, even pre-Ozil. And, and I think that's that's part of the reason why we're fascinated by say by that mini league of, um, of 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 the top clubs, just because potentially it will show that Arsenal have have, have turned a corner in terms of their conviction. Excuse me. There's two ways to look at this. You can just look at points, and then you can. And I know it's kind of airy fairy and whatever. You can look at how a team is playing, how well they're playing, whether they're executing, whether they look good, and assume that there's some kind of correlation between that and, and future results. When you look at the way Arsenal are playing, do they look good? And is there somebody else who playing better football than Arsenal in the Premier League? Not at the moment. No, they're playing very well. Maybe City when they play Norwich, but. Yeah, but over the over the piece, over the three months, Arsenal have played the best football and therefore deserve to be where they are at the top of the league. What I would say is on the few occasions they've been tested, and I mean really tested under pressure by good players, they've been found wanting. They've beaten Tottenham and Liverpool, who were both pretty poor in both games against Arsenal. Arsenal took advantage of that and deserved to win. But when they were tested by Dortmund and Chelsea, they, they buckled under pressure. And it's it's that feeling that... When they're really up against it, um, if they can play as, as well as they have to, that is why I am still slightly sceptical. It's not about Urzel. Great going forward, they're fantastic. I think, but I would worry about the back four in particular. When the pressure's on, they tend to make mistakes, and it's not just about belief. I think concentration has been a bit, been a big thing for Arsenal going back several years. The amount of sort of soft late goals they've conceded from centre backs not marking or full backs being caught up the pitch or. Koscielny doing something daft and, and, and until they can string together a, a, a sequence of hard-fought, narrow victories against good teams, I think I think there will be doubts. But also if they lose, I mean, Hughes quite rightly points out the centre-halves as well. I mean, they obviously Arsenal made, Wenger made that big decision of, of um, you know, his first his first choice, but that was in the, which coincided with a pick-up in form in, in the spring, but you wouldn't a, you got to see these two um, come under under more pressure. But B, if they lost one of those two, then um, suddenly that looks a very weak area of the team. 
All right, not much love for for Arsenal thus far, or at least their 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 title prospects. Dicka, we have a rare occurrence here in that um, there's no Rory Smith, there's no Allison Rudd, there's no Tony Evans, there's no Cascarino. You know where I'm going with this. Uh, this is a Liverpool fan free zone right now, so I think we should take advantage of that. Why were Liverpool so bad? I mean, I, I really thought they were really really poor, um, and that. Rogers, who I think has been creative and doing all the right things, just didn't have an answer. Well, yeah, the midfield was was overrun, as you say. I mean, I, I've, I'm not sure. Well, I can see why he has gone to the system he has, but I don't think uh, I'm not sold on it. Um, I think um, you know clearly it feels he has a surfeit of of of, of centre halves. Clearly, because well, he bought that. two of them. Well, well he did uh, before. But, you know, but clearly, clearly he wants to play Suarez and Sturridge as a two, but. Ultimately, I mean, doesn't, he doesn't have the wing-backs to, to play this system. Um, basically, I think it needs refining, and I think ultimately, you know, he, he may have to sacrifice the not, you know, he can still pick Suarez and Sturridge, but he's going to have to, I think, probably shift one of them um, to, to a wider position. I think he's going to have to look at look at tweaking the whole the whole structure because uh, not sold on Flanagan um, or Sissoko as, as, as wing-backs. I don't see that is going to bring the best out of Coutinho, who he's got to got to get back in now. He's back fit. He's got to get back in the team because he's a hugely creative force. I think only Liverpool's form has necessarily flattered them. I think they're a developing, improving side, but I just not sold um, on that system. And I thought, I mean, ultimately, he's still got the issue of of playing out of the back, which he encourages so much. They still bring a lot of pressure on themselves because you know, Colo Torre has always got a an awful panic in him suddenly gets very, very jittery, um, to say the least. I saw a lovely description of Skirt at the weekend of of um uh, oh, no. looking like a thing someone said looking like a nightclub bouncer trying to tap dance when he's got the ball at his at, at his feet. He just didn't didn't look comfortable and, and Mignolet, who I think is a um a great shot stopper, also some of his distribution is poor and they you know, they they seem to bring a lot of sort of panic and pressure on themselves. So um, yeah, I, I, I think Rogers is getting an awful lot right, but I just look at that team and the structure, and I uh, and I don't think he's he's nailed that yet. Ollie, is Dicko being a bit unfair in the sense that, yeah, I mean maybe Flanagan and Sissoko are one thing, but you know you also have Glenn Johnson and Jose Enrique will be fit one day. Henderson did, did an all right job. Um, I, I thought when when he was out wide and. I, I wanted to, to to get you on that, and also this idea of playing two strikers, which um, very few teams, not just in England but in Europe, have done in in recent years. Juventus being one notable um, exception. Between that and and the three at the back, I mean, is this a line that he should be pursuing? I think he he's ended up doing this probably as a reaction to the fact that he's ended up with um, a lot of central defenders and, and perhaps not got the, the strength elsewhere in the, in the team. I, I don't think his, his wide options are as good as he wanted them to be. He, he didn't get the number 10 that he wanted to, to sign in the, in the summer. Um, so isn't Coutinho, so, that, isn't that what he does? Well, Coutinho is an excellent number 10, but I was told in the summer that, that he that Rogers would prefer to play him in a wide position with, with, a, with, a, number, um, with a number 10 coming in. Um, and, um, well, I was going to hope, hope that somebody butted in and, and pronounced that for me because I'm not terribly good at it. But the, um, I, I also think, look at Liverpool, I think their big problem is midfield. Now, you look at 
Gerard and Henderson and Lucas, and it looks it looks solid. But I think when you've got three of them there, they are doing the work of two men. I don't think Gerard or Lucas currently have the legs to do um, to support the other, um, which means that Henderson is there for energy and, and mobility alone. Really, if you look at Liverpool's worst performances this season, their midfield has, has been overrun, and it's it's what we said over of, um, of Manchester United over the last few seasons when they're when they're bad the midfield is a problem i don't i don't think the the, the formation the three center backs or the wing, wing backs was the problem on um on saturday i, I think the midfield was a problem because i thought they really couldn't live with ramsey and and arteta in particular suarez is, is so good and works so hard why can't he play at 10 in sort of the way that rooney has done for man united so effectively which means that when you've got the ball you've got two strikers when you haven't you haven't. Well, also, I, th- I mean, I think Sturridge can play f- fan out wide. Um, Coutinho, as Ollie says, maybe is best not as a number ten. I mean, if you, you know, part of the reason why they were outplayed in midfield, they got the three centre backs, and who were they all picking up? I, I don't, you know, I just didn't seem a very sensible use of of, of resources against um, a team like Arsenal that are, that are, you know got so many rotating players in midfield, and you know who 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 are. Each of those three centre halves picking up, apart from apart from Giroud, I, I, I just think there's got to be a. I know what he's saying about you know the, cent, the, the central midfield was the biggest problem, but I you know I think the system contributed to that. I mean, at the risk of sounding like a tactical euro snob here, though, but isn't there kind of a learning curve there? A, if you play three at the back against one striker, obviously, if you leave everybody in position, you know, as if they were like table football. Play, players, then yeah, as you said, you'll have three people surrounding Giroud. But isn't that where sort of the coaching and the adjusting and and the tactical work that you might do during the week and those boring tactical sessions come in, where you know you learn to 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 adjust with that? And one guy picks up Giroud, one guy sweeps, the other one goes and and, and you know picks up the faster one, perhaps picks up the runner or or what from, from midfield or something. I mean. We don't expect three dudes to stand in a line, right? That's not what they do, right? Uh, say, I, I think Rodgers, it sounds like we're battering him. I think he's he's getting more more, more right than wrong. But I, I just think that the... Um, and maybe, as you say, until we get um, until he gets Glenn Johnson and, and, and Enrique back, then maybe he, he, he himself can't sort of finesse the system, a system that he really wants. And Coutinho has only just come back from injury. And as I say, I think Coutinho is absolutely key to, 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 to making um, a, system, a system work. But I just look at that one, and 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 I think it was wrong on two or three, you know, pretty substantial levels. Really, moving on to Tyneside, Newcastle, and uh, uh, Chelsea. Now it, it's been a really turbulent time at Newcastle of late, with fan protests and um, media getting banned, and we're going to talk about that in, in our debate in a, in a minute. Hughie, when, when when you see a game like this, where we're really the, the momentum seems to be with Chelsea, especially after Newcastle losing the uh, big derby against Sunderland and whatever. How do you explain it? Well, at the risk of sounding stupid, it's football, isn't it? <laughs> That's why we like it. You can't always explain results, otherwise no one... So there's no big watch. shift, there was no inspirational speech, it's just the Newcastle players actually have enough pride that they said, well, we might have screwed some things up and it might be a tough time at this club, but we're going to go out there and give our best and even against a team like Chelsea away from home with Mourinho and all that crap, they can go and get the job done. Obviously, there's no immediate power shift between those two clubs or in the league as a whole, but I think 
Alan Pardew did something interesting that might give other teams a, an idea of how to play against Chelsea. He afterwards said that you know he decided to start slowly and frustrate and spoil, and it worked. And I think it, that was often a tactic that's used against the best teams, and I think it could be quite effective against Mourinho's Chelsea because he's such a sort of proactive manager, um, and he often makes great substitutions that, that have an impact. But I think sometimes he can be forced into reacting too early if things aren't going his way and I think that's what happened on Saturday he's got so many options he looks at his bench he can bring on three or four different players or can't bring on four but he can make lots of changes um, and, try to bring and on Newcastle frustrated them they didn't score and then Newcastle scored goals on the counter-attack and Chelsea lacked the quality to respond and Mourinho was left to sort of throw, throw on Willie and Aneto in sort of an act of desperation really so I think um Kudos to uh, to Alan Pardew for d- doing a job on them. Dicko, was this a, a Pardew master plan, or I mean, if I wear my Mourinho hat, and I know he didn't say that, he said that he smelled the defeat and blah blah blah. But afterwards, you know, if afterwards, <laughs> yeah. But if if Terry's header goes in, then you know, all of a sudden Chelsea can retreat into the shell, and then it could be a very long afternoon for Newcastle. Well, exactly. Well, that's my master risk when I mean, say Pardew. I, I thought Pardew sort of struck the balance right. He wasn't trying to, you know say that he had um, uh, come up with any, you know, any, any genius and you know, he just said we're going to try and keep it tight and conserve energy knowing Chelsea are you know, generally seen as a uh, you know, very um, strong in- intense team especially under, under Mourinho and, and with, a, uh, with a, a strong bench um, but as you say that's, that's a strategy that does look very clever in these circumstances um, but um, can be completely undone by that you know, supposed solid um, first half being um, unpicked by, by by a goal, and whether it's just from a set piece. But no, I thought I thought why quite why Chelsea, you know, someone like Torres who would look so um, so superb against City, why he suddenly um, looked flat. Um, why you know someone like Louise who's got so much to prove suddenly has one of his off days. Um, you know, why matter Oscar you know, didn't fizz. Well, say as Susie said, sometimes these days happen. I didn't I didn't um I didn't think Chelsea were awful first half personally, but um a, a bit a bit flat. Ollie, given the um the weather conditions and stuff, uh, did Mourinho get this one wrong with some of his player personnel choices? Well what would he have done differently for for the weather? Um, well maybe not did, start did, did maybe David not like the rain or No, but maybe you don't start Mata and Torres. Well, I think if he wasn't starting Matter, he'd be starting somebody fairly similar in that role, wouldn't he? I mean, is Matter is Matter any less equipped to play in um, in unpleasant weather than? I argue that because he's William small. Or, I'd argue that because he's small and skillful, that you know, driving rain and maybe not the greatest pitch in those conditions away from home. Maybe you go with something else. It's a game for putting Ramirez on the right and. Playing Mikel and Lampard, isn't it? Probably. Yeah, to just get a little more physical. I mean, you're up against Kabai and Sissoko, who can, or two guys who can play. My other concern would be, sort of, you know, from a Chelsea point of view, is every time they lose, Mata seems to carry the can. So <laughs> I'd be worried that he obviously got taken off Saturday. He could be on the bench for another three weeks now, which seems a little bit harsh to, to pin all the team's failings on, on, on their most talented player. And it's a strange thing where any time Mata plays well, like he did in the League Cup, people, you know, because of the sort of Mourinho narrative, people say, oh, look, you know, it's working what Mourinho's done, you know, brilliant management, he's got Mata playing. You think, well, no, Mata was playing a lot better 
the last two seasons under what is it, three different managers. Um, he, I, I, I don't think he's handling Matter well. It, it certainly doesn't seem to be working very well for Matter. It's Chelsea are second in the table, but they're all, are they second or are they third? They're joint second. But I, I, I still have doubts about the way Chelsea are going. I, I don't think if we're talking about doubts about Arsenal, I, I've got the same doubts about Chelsea and. and same doubts about Manchester City and Manchester United and everybody else. And it's, um, we say we say you have the same doubts. You have, you have different doubts, I'm assuming, from team to team. Maybe some amount of doubt. You can ask. It's, it's, I mean, it's a good point Ollie makes about, as you say, about sort of Mourinho genius psychology and, as you say, look what he's doing with Matt. I mean, it's the same with Louise. I mean, I think, you know, I don't say the is not entitled to have his doubts about Louise, but I think there's a there is a an absolute top draw player in there, um, and it's his job as manager to to coax that player out. So, um, unlike your mate, you don't think that he look he plays as if he's controlled by a kid on a PlayStation. I thought that was a that was a, that was a great line, and and but a bit harsh, maybe. Uh, I think yeah, I think he's. I think Gary said um, that it was a bit harsh um, subsequently, but I think you know I think there's a. A top draw player in there, and I'm, I'm not saying he's not without his faults. He can be over emotional. He can be, um, uh, he, you know, he can try and sort of do, do too much. He can try and run a game. Um, he can have lapses. But uh, you know, say I think ultimately, if I was a coach, I'd want to start with the qualities that Louise has, and 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 be hopeful that I could turn him into um, a, a top top draw player. Hughie, I want, I want to ask you, I just want to mention Loic Remy because um, he scored some, some big goals for, for Newcastle this season. And I was kind of struck by this because he was a guy who was, you know, supposedly future superstar, second coming of Thierry Henry as a teenager. Then he goes to Marseille as an absolute stinker. Then he moves to, to QPR and has, you know, some major issues off the pitch as well, which I think, I, again, I, now this is where I get scared about those, your weirdo legal system you have here, if I can mention this, but they, I, I think it can be safe to say that they are still there and could yet affect them. In any, in any case, must be a, a big distraction. Um, and now he looks to have regained his mojo. Um, was this actually a tremendous signing by Joe Kinnear? Uh, yeah, I was joking about that part. <laughs> but, you know, but, I mean, is, is this something where, where, where they nailed it? And and does it really matter if he forms a, a strike partnership, if he can keep playing like that? Well, he's a gamble, isn't he? Um, clearly got ability, but clearly got off-the-field behavioural problems, attitude, however you would choose to describe it. But he's on loan, though, and right? He, yeah. So, I mean, that's a good. He's on loan. You've got a fixed price if you want to buy him. Um, I mean, surely that's smart business from Newcastle rather than actually throwing another $10 million at you know, another guy who may or may not work out. Yeah, it's smart if it works, but it could equally have, have not worked. So I guess Newcastle deserve credit for taking taking a risk. I mean, the, the checkered career path that you refer to is the reason he's at Newcastle. Arsenal, Tottenham were all over him at a very young age, looked at him a lot at Marseille, and for whatever reason, partly price, partly they didn't want to take the gamble, ch- chose not to, which is why he ended up at QPR and, and now on loan at Newcastle. Well, it's just, I, I, I mean, it's clearly a bit of a gamble, Given um, the other issues you're alert to, but I say every time I saw QPR, there only about last season there were only two things to enthuse about. One was uh, Andros Townsend, um, whatever happened to him, and the other was Remy. I thought in um, when he did play, um, he was such a cut above en- anything else on that pitch. As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot 
is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. It's that, um, you know, oh, my well, God. Dicko, I, I don't know if you realize what you just said. I'll try to say this back to you. You said, whenever you watch UPR over the last two seasons, there were only two things to enthuse about. I assume he was joking. I'm assuming you were joking when you mentioned Townsend and Remy and you don't mention the most, well, I'd say maybe one of the five or six most talented players in the Premier League. What's that? Adele Tarrapt. Oh, Tarrapt, yes. What happened to him? Exactly. Um, you know, it was... Um, He's better well, well, than I, you. You interrupted me in my, in my prime of flow. But no, Remy, Remy's, Remy's a, he's a, he was a... But this way, if you can look like a quality footballer in that QPR team last season, then um, you, must have, you must have something. I'm upset and offended that that you didn't mention Tarapt. Some of us are just a little more romantic. Now, nothing too romantic about the uh, this next topic. It's the issue of, I guess you'd call it relationships between um, newspapers, uh, especially local newspapers, and uh, the clubs they cover. Now, people like me who live in the capital and rarely venture outside of the M25. I have difficulty relating to this. So um, I will hand it over to you, Ollie, since you're out in the provinces. Now, uh, Newcastle, of course, have uh, famously banned the, uh, the, their three local newspapers, accusing them of, of, of taking a stance against the club, but also another paper, I believe a paper you once worked at, or at least might have read, uh, the Stoke Sentinel have been banned from, from covering... Port Vale. There's a story on the BBC. Apparently, like Port Vale are asking them for money or something. Um, it's a bizarre story. So, given that you have more Stoke experience than any of us, start with you, Ollie. The Port Vale one is extremely strange. Where the, where the chairman has actually demanded that the the club or the the, the paper pay ten thousand pounds to to gain access to the club, as in press box access, interview access. You know, even the slightest entry into the uh, corridors of power, and it's—I mean, I, I find that just not. I know, I know, Port Vale are extremely hard up and and uh, and so on, but but they are. Um, I mean, so are local newspapers, so are all newspapers, and, and the idea that um, I, mean, I, I know television pay for, for, for TV rights, the Times now pay for pay for for, for Premier League rights. The idea that local papers should be paying huge amounts for access to the local team, which they advertise pretty much on a, on a daily basis, is just 
extraordinary and insulting, and I find it an offensive idea, whether it's at Newcastle, whether it's um, Nottingham Forest sort of treating the Nottingham Evening Post, another ex-paper of mine, um, as... Uh, yeah, sorry, for, for, those of, for those of us who don't follow you or Daniel Taylor on Twitter, uh, can you tell us what this business in Nottingham is? Uh, well, we'd, we'd be better getting uh, Danny Taylor on than, um, than do that. And I'm not sure his contract would permit that. Um, but uh, no, the, 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 um, the, the not even post business, I, I believe it, it's due to, um, well, it, it's basically the new regime there, the Kuwaiti regime there, and, and the, um, the various people that, that, that they brought in, just seeing the entire media as, um, as some kind of... Uh, Hostile force. I mean, we all know about the, the famous Fleet Street and um, and and indeed the famous lo- local Nottingham anti-forest agenda, don't we? It's uh, it's it's well established. It's, 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 it's just it's just the classic kind of football fan paranoia about anti-media agenda creeping into clubs and or anti-club agenda creeping into clubs. And there are childish people running clubs who who are just sort of hitting out at, at, at the media and saying, well, we don't like your message, so we're going to shut you up. Dicko, so where did this all go wrong? I mean, you're, 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 well, you're one, more well, experienced than the rest of us. and I, I, <laughs> that, it, I'm older than the rest of you. Well, no, I, I think you're more experienced. But, but it, it, I've it, got it, the hair to show for it. But it, no, I mean, I, well, I think, I mean, I, I wrote about be, this sorry, once with, um, with, with Alex Ferguson um, and, and one regret, um, and obviously that's sort of, Flared up again um, a bit with his his, his book and, and and various stories around that. But I, one one great regret I have um, from time covering the Manchester beat is the, is the way that you know he would scream and shout and uh, over something that was a story that was um, more, more often than not um, true, perfectly valid, um, and throw someone out and ban them. And we would either snigger um, uh, and, and you know go and sort of tell 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 our mates and write up stories and, and, and not basically suddenly just not stand there um, uh, and, and have some solidarity and say, actually, this is wrong. And, what, you know, one out, all out. And I, I say I've written that that is a regret that actually, um, as an industry, we should have we should have gathered together and said, no, 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 no. Um, that's an outrageous way to treat one of our colleagues. Uh, we aren't, we're not putting up with it now. It's quite possible he'd have said, "Okay, go to hell with a lot of you," um, and there would have been no no press conferences. Um, and I suspect maybe that was one of the reasons why we didn't was because you know the nature of the profession is is pretty cutthroat and and competitive. And um, you know, each uh, the Times want the best stories they can get and aren't going to shed too many tears over the the Telegraph or the Daily Mail. But, yeah, that is a regret, and I think that probably still doesn't happen enough, that the industry as a whole sticks up um, for itself and that, you know, if a, if one paper is thrown out, that the rest gather around and just say, no, 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 this is outrageous treatment, this is wrong, and somehow collectively um, gang up back against a, a club or an owner or whoever's whoever's acting so so ridiculously. Yeah, Dico, this is one thing which, which I find... Which, which I find strange, um, in, in the sense that I mean, in other countries, in, in Germany, in Italy, when, when stuff like this has arisen, that's exactly what's happened. You've had walkouts. You've had newspapers printing blank pages. You've had papers and clubs absolutely hate this. They'd print photographs, but then they would black out the names of the sponsors. We're sort of straying a bit from football here, but 
I could see the argument when people bought their paper on the way to work back when everybody took public transport and you would buy it based on the back page and, and you might buy three or four or five papers. Um, you know, this, this, this level of, of, of competition and the importance of being there at, at press conferences. But now that information is so tightly controlled anyway coming out of the clubs and a lot of the stuff is – streamed on, on, on the web and, and whatever else. Is it really that important? Are, are there more effective ways um, to fight back? And, or, and might it actually make it, make it simpler for the media to, to act in concert here? Uh, Dicko? Well, I think that, I mean, I think that from the news, without sounding too um, defensive on behalf of, of newspapers, so I think one, one reason is that clearly there, the newspapers haven't sort of withdrawn um, more cooperation, is that Newspapers feel like they're being, you know, pushed further from from the action. I mean, the, the advent of Sky, advent of twenty four hour, you know, sports news channels. Um, clearly, newspapers, you know, feel like we give a different service. We give, you know, are able to hopefully still speak to people behind the scenes. Hopefully, give a more in depth coverage. Hopefully, you know, chase up a lot of stories that 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 the broadcast world. You know, doesn't bother with or have the But being banned from a from a press press conference, I mean, that doesn't stop you doing any of those things. No, no, no. But what I'm saying is that you know there is there there is a a, a degree of paranoia that we don't want to you know step back any any more than we're already being forced to. And I, I you know, I, look, I think that say there is a balance to be struck here. And I think if 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 a club starts acting outrageously, I think there should be more strong, decisive. Um, up yours, um, robust, you know, response from from newspapers. Um, I think newspapers should be more front foot, say, and, and say regret is particularly with, with with you know specific managers. If they start bullying people, then they should be told more firmly than ever happened with Ferguson that that's completely out of order. Um, but I'd say I also it has to be balanced with a, the worry that clubs will increasingly try and sort of push us away and increasingly try and use their own TV stations and. Just give give out official press conferences. Official, you know, any time a player is signed at Chelsea, you know, they do this sort of, you know, blah blah bland interview on Chelsea TV, and and you would hope that the world isn't going to be reduced to a point where everything is controlled by official channels. Ali, I, I want to um, get you on this just because I think you know, obviously, you have extensive experience at, at local news, but I guess you guys all do. Um, what I find really interesting about the situation in Newcastle and the situation, obviously, that you described in Stoke and, and Nottingham is that I would have thought that there's like a, a, a very natural synergy between local football club and local newspaper. And I'm trying to imagine why at the times I've, I've, I've been outside the M25 and bought a local newspaper, it was basically for the sport to see how they covered the local team. Um, you get a level of coverage that, especially outside the, the, the top flight, that you know, you're simply not going to find in the national news media because inevitably we are obsessed with Manchester United and, 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 and Arsenal and Liverpool and whatnot. I, I'm just trying to imagine, like, why is that falling apart? It, 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 are, are there local websites which, which come into it? Or, or is this just a case, in the case of Newcastle, a bit of a paranoid club with a bit of an unusual owner? Well, you, you look at the clubs where, where, where that has fallen apart. It's, it's Newcastle, it's Blackburn, it's Nottingham Forest. It's clubs where owners have come in and they've been very overpowering. They've done a lot of things the wrong way. I'm, I mean, I, I'm, 
I think if you look at Forest, I'd, I'd say the perhaps um, the jury's still out on, on the on the owners there because I, I think they are um, you know, they're, they're making progress on the pitch, but um, but they are blundering and, and upsetting a lot of people, not just not just journalists, but you know, ex-players and people who have been part of the fabric of the club for a long time. So. I, I, I mean, people say well, the newspapers have changed. I think local newspapers, in the way that they try to cover their football clubs, have probably changed so little over the last 20, 30 years. They, they want to, local papers want things to be the way they've always been, which is where you know, they are the fans' first port of call for you know, injury news, transfer news, whatever, on, on, on their team, particularly in, in, in the sort of towns I mentioned like Nottingham and Blackburn and, and so on and that sort of bond is being damaged not by the papers but by the atmosphere that's been created by fairly erratic volatile owners I mean we've, there's something similar I suppose at, at, at Cardiff with, um, with fairly volatile owners there I haven't heard about press bands yet but it's probably a matter of time because they keep reporting dissatisfaction among the fans and, and these people, these owners, don't seem to understand that there are that there is dissatisfaction, and that it's the paper's job, the media's job, to to report it. It's not the club's website's job to report dissatisfaction among the fans, because they have a role that seems to be a little like Pravda. But you know, if, if the fan base is upset, then then how can a how can a a media organisation, a local paper, ignore that. It's protest march in the century. It's just, I, I don't quite understand what they think um, local papers should be doing. I think one thing that, that has changed is that fans have become a lot more educated in the, in the way football works and also more mil- militant through blogging and Twitter and whatever. And then that gives the local papers a problem. Um, how much do they emp- empathise with the issues, the feelings of of their fans, their readerships, which obviously clash with the with the often clash with the agenda of the club, and I think that's where the Newcastle papers have got into problem by um, from the club's point of view, they've, they've strayed too far towards sharing the fans' concerns. All right, time now for some quick hits. Uh, Manchester United roll out to a three 0 first half lead over Fulham, make three subs, then hang on for a win. Ollie Moy says it was all down to injuries. Uh, fair enough, but um, there's a decent chance it could have blown up in his face, right? Well, yeah. I suppose when you're making three half-time substitutions, I think he probably would have weighed that up, and, and I, I don't think he would have done it unless he felt it was. Um, it's kind of weird, though. How often does that happen? That like three guys walk off the pitch at halftime and say, "Like, hey, boss, we're all hurt." Well, Cleverly was um, was, was Cleverly ill or something, or he got double vision or something. So it's. Um, Slightly freakish, but it wasn't the most freakish thing that happened on Saturday, and it wasn't um, it wasn't the most consequential thing that happened on Saturday because um, United hung on and and finished a, a fairly professional performance and probably one of the more satisfying aspects of Moyes' tenure today. Alan Sugar called Andre Villas Boas tactically clueless after Tottenham scoreless draw at Everton. Uh, Husey, I got a bunch of questions for you, so you can answer them quick fire. Uh, do you concur with Sugar's assessment? Uh, is it wise to stick with Soldado ahead of Defoe? And uh, finally, um, was it, what did you make of the Loris coming back on after getting whacked in the head? It seemed kind of weird. 
Well, he's, he's first, firstly, he's clearly not tactically clueless. He may sort of speak a version of English that many of us mere mortals don't understand, but he, he knows what he's doing. He led Porto to that great unbeaten season. And I think, given he's started from scratch almost this year at Tottenham, he's done a decent job. They're fourth in the league. They've got a point at Goodison, which over the course of the season will be seen to be a pretty good result. Um, they just need to score a, score a few more goals and work a way of providing better service to Soldado. Um He's a strange player, Soldado. He's, he's actually, in some ways, he's like the foe. You only notice him when he's scoring goals, and when he's not, he doesn't. He's a bit of a peripheral presence, which increases the importance of Tottenham working out their sort of number ten position. And as for Hugo Lloris, yes, it was it was strange, but again, I have a, a bit of sympathy for AVB. Uh, the decision should really be taken out of his hands in terms of head injuries at the time and heat of heat of the moment. The keeper says he's fine probably a mistake but he let him play on I played a lot of rugby as a kid and it was the old count my fingers you're fine get back on with it obviously these days health and safety regs a bit tighter and global exposure AVB looks a bit silly this morning but at the time I could I could I could understand the decision you just just explained a lot there Hughesy (laughs) I should also point out I've only got four fingers I I should point out too Hughesy that you're from Yorkshire and therefore hard whereas Hugo Lloris is from the south of France and therefore preternaturally soft. <laughs> now, it looks like a Martin O'Neill, Roy Keane dream team at the helm of the Republic of Ireland. Dicko, is Martin O'Neill asking for trouble? And um, could you define success for the Republic? Uh, well, I'm still trying to get the bottom of how much this is O'Neill's idea and how much Roy Keane has been sort of shoved his way um, by the, uh, the the FA over there. I, I have to say, I mean, I think they they get on pretty well as as individuals. Um, but I, Roy Keane, as anyone's number two, um, I'm I'm slightly worried um, and troubled by the. Uh, I think Tony Cascarina mentioned this morning that is Roy Keane really the sort of classic. Um, um, guy you go to as your number two with a, to put his arm around a, a player who's had a hard time or to to, to G up the troops. Um, I'm really not convinced by that role. Um, so, yes, there's a lot of questions still to be answered about that, uh, how he's got that job. As for what would constitute success, well, clearly under Michel Platini's new expanded Euros, um, success is to qualify, simple as that. I think Ireland was fourth in the, in the World Cup group. They've got to improve on that. Cardiff beat Swansea in the Welsh Derby, and as I watched on television, I heard somebody say that there are very few games in the world bigger than this. Uh, so, Ollie, was it all that it was cracked up to be? And would you say Vincent Tan contributed a lot, very much, or immensely to Cardiff's victory? Uh, immensely, as ever. Um, it was, uh, I'm just trying to think, it would have been a 17 hours from the time I um, left home at quarter to nine in the morning for the time I got back from, from Cardiff and um, it, it was, you know, I think by that time I, I think probably the excitement had just about worn off but it was I, 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 I went there with huge expectations of it as a, as a match and a, as an occasion and, and um, I think it probably didn't live up to those, it's fair to say um, the atmosphere was good and lively and, and peaceful um, but it was uh, it, it was it felt a little less special to us outsiders than perhaps I felt it would. But it was a you know, it's great, great result, great story for Cardiff and um, hopefully some breathing space for Malcolm Mackay. 
in keeping with our uh, Welsh theme, um, Chris Coleman, who once told me that he basically grew up where Twin Town was filmed and he used to march around uh, in those little uniforms when he was a little boy. Uh, now, he's reportedly in pole position to take over at Crystal Palace following Ian Holloway's dismissal. Uh, Husey, is this a wise choice and will it make a difference to Palace staying up? Well, it actually looks like an appointment that's predicated on them planning for relegation, to be honest, which is probably sensible, but I'm still not sure he's, he's the right man for the job and I'm not convinced he's more he's better qualified than Ian Holloway to take Palace down and then try to get them back up again. He's a lovely bloke, Chris Coleman, very quotable, very approachable. He's also taller and more handsome than Ollie. He, he certainly is, but I'm not sure they're um, prerequisites for managing in, in the Premier League. Um, but if you look at his career, he started very well at Fulham, and seemed to do well as, as an old-school manager, managing through the force of his personality and his enthusiasm. Since then, he's sort of, everywhere he's gone, he's, he's not really had any success, not done great with Wales, so I can't really see what, what he's done to justify such an appointment other than the fact that he's a former player and maybe may well-received in, in the short term. Uh, Manchester City put seven past Norwich, and it could have been 17, maybe even 170. Dicko, uh, why can't Pellegrini have get City to play like this every week? Is it because they don't play Norwich, or at least this version of Norwich every week? Well, that's, that is the first um, first point. That you, you would be lucky to find a team as abject and defendingly as abject, particularly as Norwich um, at the weekend. I think they seem to. I mean, confidence. You know, does you know hab- confidence and habits build up over time? Home form good. The way um, they seem to be. Um, get jittery I think I mean they only played one striker um, away at Chelsea last week and they played two at home so he's got he's been tweaking his approach maybe um, I think they got Sunderland to come maybe if he sort of tried to be a bit bolder there um, he can sort of they can you know break this um, who do they've got away from home where they've thrown away some some sillies I mean clearly they need to defend better away from home teams may sense that they're a bit more vulnerable um, he's been chopping and changing the centre halves. Company being injured, um, they've not been say the centre halves are not being uh, settled. Um, maybe um, say by being a bit bolder away from home, they can sort of relieve the pressure on that defence. Gab, one for you. You wrote about Mohammed Abutrika in the Times today. Tell me why I and indeed all our listeners should read it. Um, well, apart from the fact that it's extremely well written. Uh, no, I, I just think he's a great tale. I, arguably the uh, the best player um, in the world, uh, never to have played in uh, um, Europe or South America. Um, played for Egypt, um, so unusual in so many ways. Uh, he has a degree in philosophy. Um, was uh, uh, He's won three, three um, African Cup of Nations. Um, played a huge role as well um, uh, just politically in some of the changes that have happened in Egypt of late. And it just got me thinking um, about the fact that he never moved uh, to Europe to, to the big times and make the point that Mido is probably the most famous Egyptian footballer. And I just found that really, really depressing that people know who Mido is simply because he hung around so many European clubs and so many leagues for so long. Not that and, he's a bad and guy. And nightclubs. And nightclubs as well. And... Um, very few people know who Abu Trika is. Thanks to my panel, Matt Hughes, Matt Dickinson, and of course, Ollie Kay. If you love football, and I'm guessing you do, please check out details of our upcoming live show uh, via the links on our SoundCloud page. 
Thank you for listening. Remember, you can get in touch with us, as so many of you do every single week, gamepodcast at thetimes.co.uk, or also on Twitter. Dicko's on there, Ollie's on there, Husey's on there, perhaps a little less frequently than the other two, but they all love hearing from you, and I guarantee they will all write back to you personally if you only just tweet them. Till next time, bye-bye. Your subscription to The Times and The Sunday Times now comes with access to every Barclays Premier League goal. Refresh your app, choose your team, accept notification, and you're away. As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone.